0: Marhaba, and welcome to the Matrix Greenpill, where real people connect.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Matrix Green Pill podcast. I'm Hilmarie Hutchison, and today I am so excited to have Abir Raza as my guest on the show. Abir is the co-founder and CMO of a digital transformation company called Techrival. He has an impressive resume that would take me 10 minutes to recite. So I will just keep it simple and say that he is a serial entrepreneur that uses technology to help other organizations to solve real-world problems. I hope I got that right, and I'm hoping we will unpack that a bit during our conversation. Abia, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure
0: is all mine, Marie. Thank you.
1: So let's get right into it. I know some of our listeners probably already know who you are, but for those who haven't heard of you, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background?
0: I started off just like uh, anybody else within the entrepreneurial journey, stumbled into it while kind of tinkering, figuring out different ways that we could uh, help clients that we wanted to get. Yeah, eventually we started one business as Tech Rebel, and then we scaled that to a certain point and then we got, we're getting slightly bored, so we thought we should start another one which is media And then we started another one called Bustflake. Then we started another one It sort of cascaded to us having about six businesses so far, actually eight. There are two just getting done. Like as we speak, it's like a thrill. Like once you get onto it, you just can't stop.
1: Okay. That sounds very exciting, but can I go even further back? Like where are you from? What did you do before you got into being an entrepreneur?
0: I live in Pakistan currently. I've traveled quite a bit. I used to work for a company in Houston before I started the business, but I studied and sort of lived throughout my life in Pakistan. In terms of studies, I did my bachelor's and master's in marketing. I didn't really learn much because of how universities are these days where they teach you like traditional five P's of marketing when it's transformed to such extent where AI does most of the marketing while you kind of just give a strategic direction. So it's been a bit of a interesting journey.
1: So then when you finished your studying, you took on a full-time job somewhere or you went straight into, I've got to create my own path here. I want to create some companies.
0: I started my first business when I was, I think, 12, I remember. We started just like in-house sort of library because I read a lot of books. I used to read a lot of books, so I had too many. So I was like, okay, maybe I could have people rent it from us. So I started that field really fast. Like I think I lost interest in like a month. And then I started to write. I wrote a novel for about 200 pages and I thought I should convert it into an audiobook. Back then, cassettes were a big thing. I thought I'd record it in my own voice. And then when I heard it back to myself, I was like, yeah, nobody's going to buy it. That was when I was 13. And then... I curbed my enthusiasm for businesses for a while and then eventually ended up starting up another business when I was 18, a call center. And then a few more call centers and consulting businesses later, I ended up starting off education business and then a product business. So kept failing and failing and failing until I realized that I needed my better half, which is now my partner, not my wife, my partner and our CTO, Austin Race. And he sort of balances out the erratic ADHD side of me with his stable and very sort of meticulous thinking. While well, I'm more of a experimenter and sort of pushing ourselves forward one step at a time.
1: I love that story that you had to curb your enthusiasm before you were even 18 and then you tried your hand at all these different things and you learned to fail and pick yourself up and and then try the next thing. I think that is absolutely brilliant. And then here we are, Tech Revolt. So, let's talk about that. I know you do a lot of things. So, let's uh, introduce it in layman's terms. How would you describe Tech Revolt for the everyday man to understand?
0: So it's like a one-stop shop for all of your technology needs, whether it's a website or a web product or a smartphone application or an ERP or a CRM or pretty much anything that you can think of under the sun with reference to tech. We've even dealt with a lot of projects in NFT space, metaspace, and sort of blockchain. And uh, yeah, ML is basically like an everyday thing for us in, in essence. We have about 300 engineers that are employed within our organization and kind of spread out with uh, offices in Dubai, Houston, Miami, New York, San Francisco, Karachi, Ukraine, Lahore, just to name a few. So yeah, we've kind of just been on the path towards being in every particular place where tech channel resides and just to kind of add more and more value to our clients and sort of give them the ultimate best. We just got nominated for, I mean, we got accepted into I think 5000, which was the first time that we actually applied for it because we were at that age when you can, like you need three years of like tax returns. And then we have been consistent throughout in terms of winning awards for excellence and services from different different organizations like Clutch, Fast Company, and like places like that. So in essence, for a layman, if you want something done in tech, we're the right people because we care. And I know that sounds very sort of emotional and weird. Honestly, like our focus since the start has been to partner with our clients. And in fact, to a certain degree, we've actually come equity, sweat equity partners with our clients or sort of even invested in their products ourselves. And taking a few of them as partners within our own organization, our focus is to grow together. That's the value proposition, I guess.
1: What kind of companies or what kind of businesses do you partner with? Though? Give us some examples.
0: It ranges drastically like one of the companies that we partner with in the enterprise space was the Waste Management Company, which is the second largest waste management company in North America. And we partnered with them basically creating an incubation hub within our organization specifically for them. So whatever products that they had in their pipeline, they could actually give it to us and we could deliver it to them. So our guys were reporting directly to the CTO and the CIO and, um, you know, we'll basically sort of create products in like two, three months span, which they had been working on for like the last two years, but because of internal bureaucracies and sort of the processes, they weren't really able to put it out there. On the other side of the spectrum, we've partnered with clients that have just got an idea like entrepreneur doesn't have the money to actually build it, but we like the idea. We like the enthusiasm and the motivation. So we would partner with them and sort of be there to represent the product with them and then also kind of build it out for them and uh, have equity in it showcase it with the network that we have, prototype it, launch it, accelerate it, and then look towards getting it funded to kind of scale it to the next level. So we've done both extremes, I guess
1: my next question was going to be a business need to be a certain size or have some kind of success for you to partner with them or the fact that you're saying that you have partnered with an entrepreneur with just an idea, it means if the idea is good, then that would make a good partnership for you already?
0: The idea itself, I think would hold maybe five or 10% weightage. I mean, I'm creative. I have like brilliant ideas all the time myself, but I know that I don't have the energy, neither the time nor the commitment to see it through. For us, 95% is actually like the person's abilities. Do they have what it takes? Can they put in 12, 14 hours a day to build it from scratch? And we've done that, uh, as I mentioned, like several times with entrepreneurs, both inside and or outside the organization. Like we don't hold back. Like if an employee comes to us and says, I have this idea, I would send them back and say, okay, do more research. Convince me that yours is the best idea out there. I'm not really interested in whether or not they're going to come back to me and say, okay, this is why it's the best. No, I just want them to put in the work. I just want them to tell me how their brain functions for them to to kind of show me that they have what it takes to push it through at the end of the day like i've been there like businesses can fail but the only difference between a failing business and a succeeding business for me is just the mentality you know we've had lots of ups and downs and every time we have we're coming on a downturn i see that as an opportunity for us to pivot but that's just because you know i have an entrepreneurial mindset so if you don't have that if you fall into like this never-ending cascading sort of depression you know this is it for me And you're my CEO, then I'm dead, right? Because I'm the investor. So we need people who have that gumption to just keep going, whatever happens. And if you have that, we can fund you. If you have that, we can mentor you. We can build you up from the grassroots. And we've done that with so many people that now it's like second nature to us. But we need you to have that energy to invest into it.
1: It's all about mindset and having that mindset that a challenge is an opportunity to pivot. I think that was so well said. I love it. What is one piece of advice then that you would give to an aspiring entrepreneur? Do it. Just get started.
0: Yeah, I mean stop thinking about it. We get so many people that are like, you know, let's do an NDA or I'm reviewing this one with my lawyer or we're gonna set up this company or we're waiting for this investor or we're we doing that. I feel like those are just excuses. And I know like I've been there making excuses to myself, but what I've been blessed with, slash cursed with, is extreme level of impatience. So I can't stop myself from doing it. It's like an impulse. But in essence, I also overthink and I realize that that That's the biggest trap that you lay for yourself and you fall into it by yourself that time when you start thinking of what ifs or what what then or what all I remember back in the days when I was employed and I just recently got married that had just been like two months was when I decided to quit my job nine to five paying me a lot of money for a person in Pakistan and also in Houston again the dream life for anybody who's from a third world country and I quit all of that to come back to Pakistan and start my own business getting paid one-fifth of what I was making at that time that too drawing from the savings that we had it was as stupid as decision. Honestly, I felt that I couldn't live myself if I just let it die or buried that sort of part of me which was entrepreneurial. And so I stopped overthinking and I just like wrote down on a piece of paper the reasons that I was doing it just so later on when I failed and I was like, why did I just do this? I could look back on the paper and be like, okay, this was why. So that was my only justification on a piece of paper. And I kept that physical piece of paper till this day. I just feel like, you know, you should stop giving yourself excuses because at the end of the day, whatever circumstance you're in, if you don't have enough money, if you don't have investors, if you don't have enough research or whatever, you can can do all that in due time, but the steps that you take towards it, you know, the first step being at least putting out there what you're thinking, maybe putting it out there on a website. And there's so many website builders that you can easily do that. Creating a logo, maybe even making a name. Once it has shape then it's a seed that's planted in your head. It's going to keep growing. I remember like I got the name for the company and the domain for the company like an year before we actually launched the company. And it wasn't even a company at that time. It was just like an idea a thought. Once it's planted, it's going to grow. So you just have to plant it and get it outside your head. That's the best advice that I think I can give.
1: That's absolutely brilliant. I think that's excellent advice. And for you to write down your why. Why am I doing this? Because like you say, whether it's going to fail or not, it's going to teach you something. You're going to learn some lessons and it's going to set you on a course for other things. And you started that very young. Fail fast. And then you have those skills you've built up along the way to then take something and create something great out of it. Now, of course, your company, you started with some big money behind you. Or am I wrong about that?
0: Yeah, really big. It was like $1,000 that we invested in.
1: Amazing. And you have grown that?
0: That is a lot of money in Pakistan. I had to save up a little for, like, I remember my first job I was thinking about earlier. Back in the call center days, I used to make, I think, about $50 at the start of my career in a month.
1: Oh, wow. Incredible.
0: Yeah. And when I quit my job before the Houston job, because I was like an outlier in my entire career, but like before that, I was making maybe like thousand dollars a month, perhaps, or fifteen hundred dollars a month. You know, I'm the only breadwinner in the family of like six. So there's savings are really difficult to make. Thousand dollars was a lot. So let's not say that it's less. But yeah, I think um, considering that we've scaled it to about ten million right now, that's about a thousand X growth. That's not enough. I mean, our goal is to make it to a billion, so that would be like a million X hopefully, in the next five years.
1: That's the other thing. You saved up that money. You were self-funded. You weren't looking at other places. And then you've managed to grow from, as you say, the $1,000 to a multi-million dollar company. What were some of the challenges that you faced growing to such a large company?
0: The biggest challenge that we faced uh, and that we still face is the right people. And I know this sounds pretentious, like most companies wouldn't even have resources right now. And they'd be like, "Okay, I mean, at least he has people under him, people who can buy into your vision and sort of connect to it to a level where it becomes their vision, it's really hard for you to create that atmosphere. And uh, we're still struggling with it. And we have been blessed with a lot of people that are really good and really equipped. But especially when you're an entrepreneur, we're not really working as a manager or even as a C-level executive with like stocks or something, right? When it's an equity structure and you have a nine to five. When you're an entrepreneur and you live and breathe the business, when Saturdays, Sundays are days where you can think about the business and Monday to Fridays are the days when you actually work in the business. It's hard for you to have that sort of commitment from somebody and Trust me, like I completely understand that, you know, that's unfair of me to expect that from people. It's also that if you were to think about other ventures or other opportunities or ways that you can inorganically scale your business, you have to give it to somebody else. And whenever you give it to somebody else and they just don't have the same conviction that you can see in yourself, it's hard for you to step back and sort of monitor it more in strategic levels. I'll say some of the lesser sort of easier problems as well. Because I know that this is a problem that companies would probably face like a year down, two years on the road, like entrepreneurs. This is one of the problems that I feel like any entrepreneur would face later on. So to back that up to a point where it's an easier problem that people would face like near one, I guess would be essentially getting the traction that they need for their product or their service. And um, I think for us, we're kind of blessed because we worked on our brand and, and sort of our positioning a lot sooner than most companies would i think for the first three months we were just going out there and spamming customers on like social media and other places and things saying like work with us work with us work with us and then it came to a point where we we're like okay we're doing something wrong we need to position ourselves better and in fact if you go through our reviews like back in the days go through our youtube channel and just go through videos the first or first few videos you'd actually notice a trend where every customer that we've that has given us a review would be like they came in so cheap and i just did not believe it they would literally say that we were very competitive on pricing. That's why we got the business. But then later on, we realized that is not sustainable because when you're trying to give quality to a customer, you're trying to scale your production, then eventually the price is going to have to increase. And so you have to compete on value then. So we started to reposition ourselves and focus on branding and focus on like what are Value is and how much can we add more to it in terms of the customers share the pie of value and uh, giving and giving and giving and stop focusing on the taking part. And then it became easier because then customers kind of knew that we were doing a lot for them and they just felt that, you know, we deserved what we got. And we didn't get asked that question. Okay, can you I mean, at this point. Customers actually come to us and say, we've heard so much about you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to let us work with you. That's the position that you want to be in as soon as possible. So I would say work on your value proposition. Think that if another company is offering them this, how can I offer them more? How much less can I offer them on? So I think that's the biggest problem that you have to fix as soon as you start.
1: That's very valuable advice. So competing on price is a downward spiral, whereas if you're focusing on adding value, you've got the potential to make things grow. That's very good insight. You work on a number of projects. You have businesses. You've got a partner. You're an advisor. You're an investor. How do you manage your time?
0: I think I struggle with work-life balance. So I don't think I am the best manager of time per se. The way I generally put it is 50% of my time would actually go towards Tech Revel, which is obviously the you know most valuable company that we have. And the rest of the 50% would go towards the new ventures that we've established. One of them I think it's taking about 20% of my time, which is Revel Ventures, which is a venture building business that we started because we saw that we were already doing so many businesses and starting from like scaling them for five, ten thousand 000, like a million dollars. So why can't we do this with other people and sort of bring this secret sauce out to entrepreneurs that kind of want to do the same thing, but we just don't have access to them because they don't know about us. So we started this venture building business, called our ventures, and we're sort of going towards a fund as well and sort of an accelerator model with attached to an incubator model, which you're already sort of running from day one. So that takes up twenty percent of my time and then thirty percent is spread between the different businesses that I'm part of in the capacity of investor, as you mentioned, an advisor. I guess that's how it's split it. Do
1: you get much downtime?
0: so i think probably the most amount of downtime that i get is spent when i'm on the plane traveling because we have way too many offices and uh, too many things to do like in all honesty i don't get enough time we were just me and my partner were discussing taking vacation in december this will be our vacation after two years and we were still considering it because we had so much to do so we were like okay you take a vacation i'm going to take it next year even for one week if you have to be off even that time you're actually like checking your emails sometimes attending. Calls, putting out fires. So, no, it doesn't work out like that. I think entrepreneurship is a full time, double time job, and you have to sacrifice a lot. And honestly, for me, it's just that my family is so supportive. Without them, I wouldn't be where I am. Like, without my family being there to support me on the house front, chores and all these other things, like I wouldn't have the mental capacity to pursue the things that I have to pursue.
1: I can so relate to that. As you say, as an entrepreneur, when you run your own company, there is no you time. You're thinking about the company all the time and you are working crazy hours. I don't see it as work. To me, I love what I do. So I put in the hours, but I'd rather be doing that than wasting my hours. And I guess that's what drives you. You've got your passion. It's one of your other kids, right? That you're just wanting to grow.
0: Yeah. I think in actuality, that's the only kid. In essence, when you get to a point where your business sort of defines who you are and you know it's a reflection of you. And every time you think about 10 minutes of time that is spent some on something else, or an hour of your time being spent somewhere else. You're like, Hey, in this hour, I could build this opportunity. The opportunities are endless when you consider a business. Like I'm saying, in next five years, we can get to a billion. Perhaps if I were to save more time and be more efficient with my time, you get to two billion or 10 billion. It just depends on how much of a scale that we're looking into. And with that sort of mind frame in the next five years, we're also one of our objectives and it's, it's our vision statement for the next five years is to impact 20 million lives. We're doing that under the umbrella of uh, Revel Impact, which is what we've created sort of partnered with a lot of nonprofits and sort of giving away donations as well as having our own employees become a part of it. We had employees kind of actually go to these areas and sort of take donations from the office as well as, uh, you know, ourselves and then sort of go there and give these out to people. And it's a pretty far away place. As I mentioned, like fostering that culture, that vision, that passion within employees, it's critical towards not just having a feel-good sort of atmosphere, but it's also part of what we want to drive home to our employees, as well as through them to our customers. Because they can put themselves in a position where they're doing something without any expectation of return for a person that they do not know. Imagine what they can do for a client. They don't care about their Saturdays and Sundays as long as the work gets done. If they understand that you know everything that they're putting into the business is actually helping more people than just themselves, more families than just themselves, it inspires them. It kind of gives that purpose. Without purpose, honestly, life's meaningless.
1: Absolutely. Having a purpose is so important. I love that. And so through your company, through your example, you're also showing how you're giving back to the community. That's excellent. Thank you so much for all the insights and the stories that you have shared with me so far. Now we've come to the segment of our show where I'll ask you a couple of rapid fire questions. Our version of a game show will be more than a couple. Are you ready?
0: Sure. Yeah. Let's go ahead.
1: Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. When are you most productive? Sunset. Oh, okay. I know you love to read. Who's your favorite author?
0: I'd say Michael Creshton, but I shouldn't say that because it's a fictional writer. But I love 48 Rules of Power by Robert Greene as well. So anything by Robert Greene, I'd read.
1: And what is one thing you do every day, no matter how busy you are? Meditate. Oh, excellent. Thank you very much. That was the game show. So that was pretty easy. Before we wrap up, let's do our green pill moment. So what was your green pill moment, the action or event that was the turning point for you or your career?
0: This was back in the days when I was still working at a consulting firm in Houston and it's one of the biggest consulting firm like works with Accenture, Deloitte, KPMG like the top Fortune 500 companies. I was a director there it was pretty handsomely for my age and everything else like I was 26 or something and uh, I had a very good position and everybody kind of loved me and there was no reason for me to kind of consider anything else. As I mentioned like I always had this sort of entrepreneurial mindset which was like you know you gotta do something gotta do something gotta do something so I had sort of created a logo and bought the domain and stuff. And I was sitting on it because I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Like it's too risky. I still remember like I'd met my partner and we sort of built a website and something stuff and we weren't really doing much with it. It was just sitting there. And I signed the contract with that company and I was like, I'm out. I can't do this would just not be right for me to kind of focus my energies on this. So I'm stopping this. And then I went to Houston and I sort of went through experience that you have very offshore and sort of meeting clients and all that. It was amazing. It was good fun. I came back and I remember that my dad got sick. It was pretty bad. He had to be hospitalized and stuff. So I had saved up some money for marriage and stuff. And then all that went into the hospital bills. And I was zero at that time. Then I kind of realized that I didn't want to be in that situation again. I could still save up money and then something else would happen and I would be dirt poor again. I could invest better and all these things like stocks or these things that keep people telling you like you should invest buy real estate or whatever. Like, I don't know how you buy real estate in a salary of... For, I mean, in Pakistan, I was getting paid like $2,000. So how you can save up money when you all you get to keep after paying everything is like maybe $200, $300. So I came to the conclusion that I had to do something myself. Even if I had to take the bitter pill to start with, I would be in much better position if I was in control of my own destiny instead of, you know, somebody else deciding what I should get at the end of the month or somebody else deciding what I should be focusing my energies on. I had just too much to offer. And if I were to answer to somebody and I wouldn't be able to use my creative energies towards making something bigger every day, I just would be at nature's disposal. Something else happens, somebody else gets sick or something and I have to pay for it, I'm done for. So I think that was my green pool moment when I realized that it wouldn't be enough. Even if I started getting paid $10,000, my expenses would increase Instability would creep up again. So I needed a way out where I can scale by using my own skills instead of reporting to somebody.
1: Lovely story and a lovely experience. Thank you so much for sharing that. So you could see that the way you were going, you were always going to be at the mercy, either of other people or other situations that was outside of your control. It would also mean you wouldn't realize your own full potential. So by taking that plunge, by making that change, taking the risk road, I guess, you've been able to, by taking that green pill, you absolutely changed the course of your life. So that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I've so much enjoyed this conversation and I'm so sure our listeners will as well. But before we say goodbye, can you please tell our listeners where they can find and follow you? And of course, we'll put this in the show notes.
0: Well, I'm always available. It's TechRebel.com. If I'm not available, we have a whole team of PR that kind of monitors that email as well. I have an Instagram account. You can follow me there. I don't know what it is, honestly. <laughs> I'm not very social. In essence, like if you just search up my name, Abiraza, so you can sort of find a lot of information, my LinkedIn, my Instagram, my YouTube, everything else. Those are access touch points for me. And otherwise, just search up techrebel.com. We do a lot of great work and we'd love to have you, whether as an employee, as an entrepreneur that wants to work with us, as business, whatever it is. If you share the same vision, do get in touch
1: thank you again for that and we will find all those links and we will put them in the show notes for our guests for our audience thank you again Abir. it was so lovely talking to you there's a, a lot that I could relate to to the things you were saying so I really appreciated that and I will certainly be following your journey thank you so much for the kind words
0: if you enjoy our conversations please like and subscribe
1: see you next Wednesday